Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Oh, y'all ain't ready. No, you're out there saying you're ready, but y'all ain't ready. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Coming off of WrestleMania weekend. And for those who don't know, this was the Freebirds theme that Michael B.S. Hayes, Duke, 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 wrote himself. This is horrendous, by the way. This is bad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Listen to these lyrics. And like anybody who's ever like been to a guitar shop knows how to play this song. It's just D-E. <laughs> like power chords. But it's hilarious. It's a lot of fun to play. Uh, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I told y'all y'all weren't ready for that monstrosity of a song. Bad Street, really, USA. A nightmare. <laughs> but that was the 80s, man. A nightmare? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the 80s. Fashion-wise, there was some good music, but yeah, oh, it was just a nightmare. So the weekend was good. The weekend was good. I, I was kind of absorbing all the fun. I mean, even the Auburn game, very disappointing. Oh, brutal. But I like what Bruce Pearl said about the supposed double dribble. Yep. Get, get over it. Get over it, everybody. Yep. Yeah. I thought the coaching staff and the players handled themselves a lot better than the Auburn fans in attendance did. Yeah. Yeah. When they threw stuff at the referees, I was really disappointed. Yeah, I'm like, this isn't WrestleMania, guys. Oh, which, by the way, after I've switched off the Auburn game, a little upset, but it's like, whatever. Yeah, I've learned not to journey. Yeah, I've learned not to let sporting events, especially ones where you didn't expect to hit this far, get me down. Oh, yeah, for sure. I had a period there when I was a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. If they lost on a Sunday, just a regular season game, I it ruined my day. Yep. <laughs> it's I'm, the Buccaneers, I'm, so they were always ruining my day. I'm like that with Tottenham games. Yeah. It's you bad get, for my heart. It's like fan enthusiasm. We'll get back to that in a second. I think being a fan of stuff, like being part of that group's fine. As long as you don't take it too far. Right. You don't want to be a super fan. Right. But the fan stuff is a lot of fun, but some people go a little nuts with it. After I turned off the Auburn game, because it's WrestleMania weekend, brother, brother, I turned on the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. And this year, they kind of learned from the past. They set up the... Is that something that occurs before WrestleMania? Yeah, on Saturday night, WrestleMania is Sunday night. Right. And they announce all the inductees this year... Uh, Degeneration X was inducted, and their speech was great. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Wow. <laughs> you talk about how the 80s were bad. 
they were also alliterative. Yeah, Brute is the barber beefcake, and he walked around with like head shears. And wow. then after he beat somebody in a match, he gave him a terrible haircut. Wow. Okay. Yeah, the eighties were nuts. But he got inducted. Tori Wilson, um, who's still, I think, an Instagram model, fashion model, teaches women fitness. She was inducted. Uh, several people were inducted. Well, one of my favorites was, I can't remember her name, but she's the woman who does. You're right, I know. <laughs> but she's the woman who put together all the relationship between the WWE and Make-A-Wish Foundation. And she was honored for doing that. So she she's not a wrestler. She's... Uh, Administrative staff. Yeah. And it was her idea, let's start doing Make-A-Wish wishes. Let's grant wishes as because kids love wrestling. Right. And I think she, everybody went through a wrestling phase. And as they, oh, absolutely, you should. It, and this is where you know people will get down on wrestling. It is the like most basic story. Mm-hmm. Good guy, bad guy. They are upset at each other for some reason or another, and they fight it out. It's a, you don't have to speak English to watch it. Like it's a, that's why they have such a huge following worldwide. Wrestling is a pretty universal language. Like you get what's going on if you have eyes for the most part right so she was being honored but she took the opportunity to speak about they the wwe have granted the most wishes than any other organization yeah mostly because of john cena right yeah and john cena is the one who introduced her and she said i know he's going to be upset about this but he has the most granted wishes than anybody like 600 something right in a few years, and Cena almost like started to cry. He didn't want to look down, and and some of the stories that you see there, it it reminds you. Like the first time I went to a live event, it reminded me of going to the park. It's like all these families and kids and right. people from all sorts of different backgrounds. That was great, but another group that was inducted, it was somewhat bittersweet, was the Hart Foundation. Brett the Hitman Hart, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Jim Neidhart passed away this past year. So this was kind of a way of inducting the Hart Foundation, which everybody knew as tag team go, they're one of the most famous tag teams in wrestling history. They knew they'd be part of the Hall of Fame, but this is a way to give a tribute to Jim, the Anvil Neidhart. Okay. And Natalia, his daughter, who's also a wrestler, introduced him. And I believe Jim married into the family. He married Bret Hart's sister. Okay. And so, Bret Hart's up there essentially with this man's daughter, Natalia, giving a tribute to Jim the Anvil Neidhart, his brother-in-law, his longtime tag team partner. Like, they traveled everywhere. They, they're thick as thieves. And in the middle of speaking, all of a sudden, I'm watching this live on the WWE Network. I see a guy, and it looks like, I guess the best way I've been describing is a Rastafarian hat, where it's got the green and yellow and red and I see a flash of him come up and like you hear a commotion and the feed goes black. They shut off the feed. You can still hear things like people yelling and stuff. Then the feed comes back on and there's still more commotion. They're not showing anything on the official WWE feed so you go to Twitter. And fans were taking video of what happened from the stands. This guy, this fan was able to get into the way they had it set up. The stage set up was like a wrestling ring, just without ropes in the front where the camera has the shot. So he climbs up into the ring, tackles Bret Hart. Natalia Natty's arm is tied with his, so she falls too. They both go to the ground. 
This idiot, though, didn't really take into account that everybody in the front row are not just wrestling fans, but actual wrestlers. A lot of them who probably became wrestlers because they loved watching Bret the Hitman Hart. Not to mention, you have to be really quite athletic to be a wrestler. Yes. So they all storm the ring and rip this guy off, Bret Hart, and start wailing on him. Not work punches, not fake punches. They start wailing on him and cursing him out and all the... Like, there's one shot, once they pull him out of the ring and they're, like, carrying him, like, a, like on a rail. Like, they don't have a rail, but they're just carrying him, like, fireman style. This one guy who's a part of the tag team, The Revival, Dash Wilder, comes up and just gives a brutal uppercut. I can show you the video. It's like, oh, oh, man. Like, in the solar plexus or the kidneys or something? No, in the face. In the face. Okay. Yeah, the guy's, like, being carried and he's, like, belly down, face down being carried on, like, you know, ten guys' shoulders, and Wilder comes around the corner and, like, just hits him right in the face until the police finally take over. The guy's lucky to get out of there alive. They didn't charge Wilder? No, they're not gonna. Right. It's kind of under... It's a long-standing rule. You come anywhere near the ring, like, in a normal wrestling event, you're gonna get your ass kicked. Right, okay. Like, we mess... It's scripted here, like, but you're not one of us. And if you try to come in and do something, you're going to pay for it. And that's a normal match. This is Brett the Hitman Hart trying to give a tribute to himself and to his brother-in-law. And from the whole family and all these people that he inspired. And this guy interrupts it that way. He's lucky he got out of there alive. Yeah. So that was crazy. You told me about something that was crazy. Another terrible thing in Auburn. Uh, for Auburn Gymnastics. Oh, yeah. I just saw the video today. You watched it? Oh, dude, I told it, you not to watch well, oh. it. Well, it popped up on a Facebook feed. Yeah. So was, I couldn't look away. Was that not the most... Oh, what a That's hor- worse horrific than, injury. Who's the quarterback that Lawrence Taylor... Theisman. Theisman, yeah. It's worse than that. Yep. Worse than pro throw. Worse than where in basketball. Uh, she's essentially doing a floor routine, folks. This young Auburn gymnast. Sam Saria. And uh, she... Does a flip, does another flip, and then goes to stick this pretty high flip, and both knees go backwards. She dislocated both knees, broke her legs, and ended up tearing a lot of, uh, you know, pretty important muscles. I think she's having surgery with Dr. James Andrews tomorrow. Speaking of a man who is a, I mean, he's an institution here in the state of Alabama. It's true. I mean, every athlete I know, whether it's NFL or WWE or Auburn athletes, go to him if they have an issue like that. Yeah. His team's incredible. It's something the state of Alabama should be very proud of. You know, he's he's probably sick of getting the freak injuries, though. <laughs> right. And that's, that's two in, like, a week. You right. Know? So a lot happening this weekend, but I want to come back to this idea of uh, fandom. A uh, good friend of mine, Sean Malone... He does a YouTube series called Out of Frame, where he takes like a movie or a TV series, and he, using the story of the movie or TV series, will glean a lesson. And it could be a moral lesson, could be a political one, whatnot. And he chose a TV show he's been sitting on for a while, because it's one of his favorites, and he's like, it's, and he opens up the video this way. It's like, it's so good. One Tree Hill. No. No, he wasn't an idiot like us, drinking whiskey and watching One Tree Hill rooting for the bad guys. I essentially do that now with wrestling, but whatever. Got the Gary hair. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Gare Bear. Oh, wow. But, no, the TV show, he waited because he said there are so many ways to cut this. You could teach so many lessons as Avatar Last Airbender. Phenomenal animated series that came out a few years ago. Yeah. Brilliant. I agree with you. And I'm not usually one to watch animated series, but I watched uh, episode two and I was hooked. Yeah, Aaron Aaron told me to watch it a while ago. I did and was like, yep, it's a great show. Folks, if you haven't seen it, whether you're young or old, it, if you want to hear or see a incredible storytelling, check out the Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. So Sean's like, okay, how do I... What's lesson? Because there's so many things. The character arcs are beautiful. Like they're always that all the characters are fairly imperfect people or not to their full power. They all have story arcs that they develop where they learn something or maybe they don't learn and that ends up with their downfall or whatnot. But he realized one of the key themes of that story. And if you understand this world just in broad strokes, folks, there's like several elements and people of different tribes. Liter- literal elements. There's uh, fire clan, they're, water clan. They're, and, air ben- they're yeah. benders. They can bend fire. They can they control fire. They can control water. They manipulate whatever element. Earth or whatever. Part of. Some people can manipulate multiple elements. And so they're literally made up in these little nations or tribes. Mm-hmm. And so you, it makes sense in a way like the water tribe hates the fire tribe. These sorts of things. And he said the key, one of the key lessons throughout the story is that these folks that have a sort of collectivist bigotry towards the other tribe learn that, well, this person who's part of the water tribe isn't a water tribe person. It's just Troy. Like, they learn to see people as individuals throughout the story and as they become friends and go through trials together. And Sean uses this to illustrate a point I've long thought about. I haven't talked about it in a while because I like to grow and find new things. But when I look at the political landscape today uh, and I'm trying to reorient myself, like what's my number one goal when I talk about politics? What I find so frustrating is the hypocrisy inbuilt in collectivism. Like people will say uh, Donald Trump's exaggerating. Donald Trump's lying. And then somebody goes, well, what about when Obama lied? And I'm like, they both lie. They both exaggerate. Especially, that's the way politics is. And to put it in a biblical New Testament sense, you see the speck in your brother's eye and not the plank in your own. And I think a lot of this comes down to this rise of some, you can call it tribalism, you can call it collectivism, you can call it identity politics, whatever you want to call it. And it's not just on the left. Yeah. There is, I, I think, an unfortunate effect of when you become such a part of the team or the fandom that you lose sight. Now, most people, obviously, when you go to even an Auburn-Alabama football game and the rivalry's intense and it's what we talk about for nonstop for a month, mm-hmm. most people are understand this is all in good fun. Even if it ruins your day and you get a little too drunk, it's like, ah, I wish right. and you brag and insult your friends or whatever. You still know this is all in good fun. And if somebody takes it too far, usually there's going to be, let's say an Auburn fan takes it too far with an Alabama fan in the group chat. Right. Usually there's going to be another Auburn fan in the group chat that's like, come on. Or vice versa. Right. So what, what is collectivism? You had to give a definition. I would say collectivism is you, it's a moral or political theory that puts 
the group identity as the primary aspect of a person. That because you're part, whether it could be religious, it could be your nation, it could be whatever, it could be your gender or your race. But that group that you belong to becomes the primary characteristic of who you are. How and it can be how you project yourself and your and think of your own identity. You could say, I'm an American first, or I'm a Christian first, or I'm a Republican first, or whatever. You you can emphasize this is what I really care about. But at the end of the day, it's not, you know, the interesting individual thing. It is you're part of that group and that's what's important. And it again can be what you think of yourself or what other people think of you. So when I look at awful things in the country's history like racism, I'm like, that's a very abhorrent form of collectivism. I mean, I've heard stories because we're not that far removed from some of the terrible days. I mean, we are, and there's been an incredible amount of progress. And I like people like, uh, you ever heard of a guy named Larry Elder? No. He's a talk show host who got started, um, I think, in Los Angeles. And he tells a phenomenal story about his relationship with his father. And they didn't speak for years, literally did not speak. And then finally, when he sat down to talk to his father after years of silence, he learned, wow, I'm such a small person compared to my father. All the things his father had to go through with... And by the way, Larry Elder's black. So, you know, not only the bigotries that went on and he moved from the South to out west but really there wasn't a big difference in the bigotries out west they might have been a little politer about it but they're still going to be bigoted right and we're talking folks 30s 40s and then you know not just the bigotry but surviving in an economic environment that like we had in the 30s like the things his father had been through in order to just raise a family and get larry where he was as a young man And Larry Elder first hit it big. He first got a talk show because he said, not yesterday, not five or ten years ago, like 30 years ago, like in the early 90s, that racism is not a huge problem in America anymore. It's not a big obstacle. It exists, but it's not a big obstacle in the way of you pursuing your individual dreams. And, of course, he caught hell for that. He said he got called every name in the book from Uncle Tom to whatever else. But I like his perspective because it's not so much always taking on the prevailing narrative. It's more anybody that shares the message of it's really what you do for your individual life. Uh, Here's an example. I just saw Kevin Hart on Joe Rogan's show. And he talked about how he wanted to go to this big senior trip. So when it came time to take his SAT... He didn't study for it. He didn't care about it. And so he just, you know, put in random bubbles on his SAT. Get, didn't hardly even get a score. Like, he got everything wrong. Whereas all his friends, though, did prepare, study, and they were ready for the SAT. And then they got to go on the trip. So they were actually at peace and having fun on the trip where he's kind of like... And he said, I... Why didn't y'all tell me we need y'all were taking this seriously? Why didn't we prepare? And then he realized, oh, Kevin, that's because they're caring about their life and doing what they need to do in order to make their life better. And Kevin Hart said that was the moment in his life where he learned, 
I'll never take an opportunity for granted again. All these people are going to go off to great colleges all over the country. I'll be stuck here in Philly. And so when I look at my own life, like I've got to hear from a great guy, Larry Reed, a letter, open letter to status. And yes, if you ask me what I really think about the government, I think they put up way too many obstacles in people's way especially at the lower end of the spectrum. There's all sorts of regulations and taxes that really hurt people that are just trying to make it. But if I look at my own life and I ask myself, am I not where I want to be because of the system or my family life or whatever? Something outside of me I just couldn't control. Or am I not where I want to be because I'm my own worst enemy or my own best friend? The choice is mine, and I think it's the latter. That before we are ever going to make the world a better place, you got to stop hurting yourself. You can't do things for others unless you are actually taking the steps to improve your own life. I saw this question. I, sorry, I'm going to interrupt no. for a second. I saw this question that is a, a really, it's a perspective I never saw before, but it, it was like, it was on Reddit, surprisingly. It was Ask Reddit, and it said... Uh, if someone talked to you like you talk to yourself, would they be your friend for very long? Mm. And I thought to myself, no. Likewise. I'm very negative. Yeah. And that's, that's always the trick. And the reason I bring this up, folks, on a news talk station, because I think there are a lot of folks who want to, because they have the vote, because they want to be active, it's, I'm not... In, throwing bad motives at you. I'm not assuming bad motives. Uh, I'm assuming good. Let's think in ideal terms. Good motives, you want to change the world, you want to be informed, you want to make the right vote and support the right causes and be a good person in general for yourself and your society. But I just, I see a lot of folks who get caught up in this system of we got to change the world and we got to change the political system and they haven't done the first thing about putting themselves in a good position to actually accomplish those things. Like, fix yourself before trying to fix the world is the idea. And this leads me back to collectivism. I think what's happening, especially if you see like a... Like, I, I mean, we have somebody we went to school with who moved, I think, in ninth grade, who's now a trans woman, was a guy is now a trans woman. And I don't feel any ill will. I'm not even that weirded out by it. It's just like, oh, that's a thing. And if that person wants to make that decision, all right. If I really knew you intimately and you asked my advice, like, I'm a good friend, you say I'm thinking about doing this, I would give you my honest advice. But I, I think somewhat what's going on is instead of doing the hard things that have always existed, like the hard, very difficult choices in life. A lot of young people and sometimes folks of a certain age go, well, I haven't accomplished what I wanted. And I, even, I haven't even set up a clear goal for myself. So I'll just jump into somebody who's already made a goal for me. The collective. Yes. And I think that's the worst with people who are really young, in a way, because instead of really taking a risk and going out and accomplishing something, 
You just go, well, I'm part, I'm this identity group. So I I have value, obviously. And I'm, I think, yes, people have inherent value. But what are you doing with it? Is it just a pronouncement that I'm part of this group now? We're a thousand strong and we're going for it. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be part of a group and a good cause. But if it becomes, we've talked about this before, if it becomes your whole identity, you're probably not doing the right things for yourself. And it's going to come back at some point to bite you. Right. It's It becomes an unhealthy balance. That being said, is there something inherently wrong with the value inherent in collectivism? That is to say, the ease with which a person who joins a collective can then either lift themselves or others or ideas up. Is there anything inherently wrong with that? I think there's something inherently wrong with collectivism in the sense that it means the individual doesn't matter. So like a hive. Yes. So if we've got to sacrifice a few individuals, or especially that individual who was part of the group and is now speaking up and saying heretical things or whatever, right? then, well, we got to get rid of them. And that's where, like, it's the whole difference between, say, China and the United States. Like, and there are trends in the United States where I don't like where it's going that are collectivist trends. But when you look at the Declaration and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in particular, it is about individual rights and dignities. That's, the idea is that groups are made by strong individuals who are carrying out their life responsibly and respecting the liberties of others. It's, you know, it's... It seems like it's almost the opposite of the sum is greater than its parts. Mm-hmm. Because if the sum is greater than its parts, then it would stand to reason that you could get rid of some of its parts, and the sum would still be greater in many aspects. Right. But if you were to celebrate individual liberties, then the sum cannot be greater than its parts. The sum cannot exist without its parts. Right, and it... It can't. I still think it can be greater because when individuals do work together, respecting their rights and taking their responsibilities, they can do things they maybe couldn't have done by themselves. I suppose I was too mathematical with that. I don't. Uh, I don't agree. I, and this is a, often a, a way people talk about, you know, limited government, conservative thought, or libertarian thought. You believe in the atomistic individual, completely removed from. Society And, yeah, there are some writers and thought experiments that do that, but that's just a thought experiment. And most libertarians I know, at least, let's put it this way, there are stupid people in every group. So I've met some really stupid or immature libertarians, myself included, looking back. And, well, hell, looking in the mirror now. But when you look at the best arguments, the goal of respecting individual liberties... And encouraging individual responsibilities is to create a strong social fabric and to enjoy life and to say, yes, people do group together. Some people will have a different religion than you. Some people will, have, will look different than you. They'll be men and women. They're, all these different groups do exist. And there's no denying that. But when you respect individual liberties, it'll allow you to not fall into sort of a petty bigotry of the group. That, you know, this is what I hear when, you know, the whole battle of the sexes or gender battles we have going on right now. That, 
all, whenever I hear somebody go, all women do this and all men do this, unless you're talking like a very well-researched statistical model on temper, you know, your temperament, I don't want to hear what all women are like or all men are like because there's obviously all sorts of variation. But if you see people as individuals, you can make those claims, I think, a bit safely or more. It's easier to figure out what's true about groups of people without falling into a broad brush of everybody is this way. Because, you know, no matter at the end of the day, I still want to respect you as an individual person. Yeah. It seems like we've almost... So this is sort of marginally on topic, but it seems like we've almost forgotten the the golden rules of conversation. Yeah. No politics, no religion. Because it seems like nowadays, as soon as we bring politics, religion, or even, shoot, identity mm-hmm. into it, uh, everybody, including the person talking, paints themselves into a corner with broad brushes. Yes. And as a maxim those two rules don't talk about politics or religion it almost seems to be a healthier way of having a conversation with somebody but at the same time over time the the longer you go without fleshing out your ideas on politics and religion the more it builds up to where you eventually out something angry comes out or you don't pass that lesson that maxim right. on to your children and all of a sudden now everybody's talking about politics and religion and you just get mad because well, it's, that, it's been so long and I think that rules there for good reason um, I've heard it put if you poke people in their axioms it's not an actual body part but the things people really hold deeply to where it is like it is what drives them it is their identity and i'm not talking about kind of a group identity i mean what you hold dear maybe a group identity it could be a perfect example would be your religious faith if you poke somebody enough or you say something with the wrong tone maybe you don't even intend it people have a tendency to get pissed off mm-hmm. i mean the most extreme versions of any collectivism is willing to kill people over their belief as we see with certain brains of Islam right now. I mean, there are... There is a place, I think, though, if... I don't want a world where we can't talk about religion and politics. Precisely. That's why it's... Like most things, there's two sides of the maxim. Mm-hmm. And... Gosh. I just I just got semantic satiation, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, Good for I've you. totally forgotten the definition of maxim just by saying it three times. <laughs> anyway... Uh, there, there's two sides to it because you have the reason why something like that exists and then you have the reason why something like that goes away and it's precisely because it exists because the longer you go without talking about religion politics whatever it is not addressing it yeah right the longer you go without flushing out your own ideas in that which oftentimes requires a discourse between one or more people the the less important that axiom or that maxim comes to passing it on to your children. I feel like our generation, at least with, we're sort of in the in the middle between some of our parents are still boomers and some of our parents aren't boomers. They're, They're Gen Xers, yeah. Right. So the boomers, we got the whole, don't talk about religion and politics. The Gen Xers, they didn't. They, they talked about religion and politics. And 
now the boomers are talking about religion and politics because everybody else is doing it. <laughs> and we've all of a sudden forgot the importance of that rule. And that's why we get Fox News that's so angry all mm. the time. And, God, was it Judge Jeanine Pirro? Yeah. She, she's so angry. She's hateful. Right? Well, Ingram, she's angry and hateful. Yeah. You got Tucker, who just bullies people. And the only reason I know those names is because Fox is the only show that I actually watch. I don't watch MSNBC or CNN or whatever. But I'm sure they're equally as angry. Yeah, um, well, and this is what I was going to bring up. Imagine you are, you're a conservative and you support Trump. There are a lot of people like that listening to us. Mm-hmm. When you see, say, Tucker bully somebody from the left, you're like, yeah. Because when you really look at that person, on, or you can create whatever personality you like, but you see a person on the left, they're almost like a mirror image. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can take Laura Ingram and then you have Rachel Maddow. And it's, other than like the politics, it's almost like a mirror image. Like you're doing the same thing. And it doesn't have to be these big networks. I think Maddow you, does a lot more research than Ingram, by the way. Well, is it correct research? It's, it's not in good faith. But right. It's, That's what I mean. Is The bad faith is on both sides. The anger, in my opinion, is clearly on both sides. And it's, it's almost like a perpetual outrage machine where instead of actually meeting... I'd be angry if that was all I talked about all day, too, by the way. Yeah. No, and it, if it I, is frustrating. I, I would be angry all of the time. Well, I've I don't. I don't know how you're angry. Not angry all. I the do time. get angry at times, but I now see it as like I'm not. I can see it from both sides. Like if I'm part of that team, I want that bulldog to get in there and tell people what it is, what it's what. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, give it to him, Laura. Give it to him, Tucker. <laughs> you you stop that Hillary Express, Sean Hannity. Oh wait. <laughs> And then if I'm on the left, yeah, I want to see what's the latest, like, Rachel Maddow theory on how Trump's messed up today. Because, you know, I host earlier in the day points out that if you listen to Morning Joe, the theme of almost every Morning Joe show is what has Trump done wrong today? But it wasn't too long ago, because I was here, that the theme of the day was what did Obama do wrong today? Exactly. And this is what I mean by we're too much alike in a way. And it's this collectivist fight, in this case, political parties, that I'm part of the team and I'm fighting the good fight, that at the end of the day, it's about winning power, not coming to truth or understanding or seeing people for who they are. Now, let's be honest, Troy. There are certain arguments that are unresolved. And people feel one way or the other about those certain arguments that are unresolved. We've got a couple of them, you and I. Sure. And... There has to be some sort of conflict. Oh, we don't we don't really have conflict. On yeah, but I don't mean like physical conflict. It's not like I'm going to rip out your nose ring like Triple H did to Batista last night. I don't have a nose ring, but just for yeah, the listeners. That's good. Uh, I would rip it out if you did have one. I dress like a recently retired single man. <laughs> I am not recently retired, although I am single. It's That's what's actually the most frustrating thing to me is like, Again, the hypocrisy of not... You see the speck in your brother's eye and not the plank in your own. Yeah. And it's almost like a virtue in politics. And then what it becomes is, I'm going to do this thing. The other side's going to call me out for doing this thing. And then my retort is, yeah, but your guy did the thing before. 
So it, it's <laughs> like you want to damn people for their hypocrisy, but then it allows you your own hypocrisy because the other people are hypocrites. Yeah, exactly. If, it's like so a race to the bottom. If you hate whataboutism, yeah. if you hate that, it becomes a priority in your life. Not to espouse whataboutism to other people. Yet, when you point it out that someone is being hypocritical, and then you do something that is against, say, one of your own ideas, and you yourself become hypocritical, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's tiresome. Yeah. But how long can we try to come to truth and understanding before we finally succumb and say, I want power? Well, I think it's what a lot of people do at the end of the day. Nobody's the Buddha, man. Well, not enough. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, some of us maybe are just meant to be like Michael PSAs and create crappy music. We'll be right back, folks. in the news that is um, I mean it's like palace entry Trump has fired the head of this, the secret service director I think after all this news about what happened at Mar-a-Lago though what happened at Mar-a-Lago? A Chinese national was able to get to the receptionist desk and her, she had like several laptops like two laptops, four phones and a thumb drive and on that thumb drive was a lot of malware and <laughs> yeah <laughs> Did you say malware or no, malware? Mal, like because, maladjusted, because like you right now. Malware <laughs> is your buttons hilarious. But the receptionist at Mar-a-Lago like picked up pretty quickly when the woman gave an excuse. I'm here for this event. She's like that event's not today. Immediately called the Secret Service. The woman was apprehended. So I'm like, why is this a news story? She was caught. But it's led to all sorts of news stories about how Mar-a-Lago's, you know, just ripe for the picking by foreign spies and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe not. It's it's probably a lot easier if you're an agent of espionage for any number of countries to yes. perform espionage at Mar-a-Lago than it would be, say, the Naval, Naval Observatory. Or like the Reagan but, Ranch or Camp David or something. Yeah. Then again, I don't think anybody's trying to spy on Pence. <laughs> So I'd maybe in wow, response to really boring. <laughs> maybe in response to you know I I wish we had more of that. More boring. More just straight up boring. <laughs> That's true. To be it's, honest, uh, you remember when Mike Pence was made fun of? He said, "I have a rule that I won't be in a, in the room a room with another woman alone unless my wife's there." People were like, "Oh, look at you and your old school patriarchy white guy privilege bullcrap." No, maybe she just likes to watch. <laughs> but after Penn said all that, and he got made fun of it royally for being so like square, man. No scandals, huh? 
Right. Other than the whole gay electrotherapy thing. Yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Well, that's the other big news. But here's the point. Pence, there's not a Me Too scandal about Mike Pence. Nope. Nope. That's it's a, the scandal. He's made a Stop rule. shocking me. Yeah, he, he made a rule where uh, that's not going to happen. That's it, that's a good rule. Yeah, I think it is a good rule. Don't don't tempt yourself. Don't put yourself in a situation that could be really bad. But speaking of Mike Pence, this is a big headline today. Um, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. He's running for president. He raised like seven million dollars or something real quick. Everybody seems everybody's throwing around these figures of single digit millions, and to me, that's not a lot of money. No, I think Bernie's leading the pack right now. But his name looks like it's like butt gig or something. Oh yeah. Oh, so this is the uh, this is the guy that is trying to bring the religious left right back to life. Right. Yeah, his. I think the way you actually pronounce his name is Buttigieg. Or they're selling a shirt that says "Boot Edge Edge." Okay. So it's Booted Edge or something like that. Like say "boot" and "edge edge" quick. Booted Edge. I think it's more Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Yeah. But here's the quote, the headline. If this is Buttigieg to Mike Pence, if you've got a problem with who I am, he's an openly Buttigieg is an openly gay man. And is living with... He has a partner. If you have a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir. Who says that? Your quarrel, sir. That's like... That's, that's how you like start a duel. Like, it's, it's somebody who has a lot of time to think about what they're going to write. Your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. His dad? And mom? <laughs> I think he's referring to God. Yeah, Democratic presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg on Sunday again took on Vice President Mike Pence, whose stance is on LGBTQ issues. I have to slow down when I say that. Right, you don't want to skip a, a letter, right? I don't want to you know, microaggress against somebody with like a sloppy slip of the tongue. Obviously, Pence has faced criticism from gay rights activists for years. He said that if Pence is a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. If me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade, Buttigieg said. And that's the thing I wish Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you got a problem with who I am, blah, blah, the, the quarrel line. That's that's actually a that's a really good conversation that I would like to watch because yeah. I am so far removed right. from both. either camp. <laughs> I am yeah. So if if someone said to me your problem was with my creator, I would be like so obviously I'd bring up the mom and dad thing and then if they were talking about God, I would be like I, what? Yeah, it's I don't I know, don't it's have an a interesting with creator. It's it's just, an interesting angle for this guy to take right um it actually reminds i just listened to a conversation with uh, ben shapiro and he said that he used to be more conservative with the capital c like he wanted more enforcement of his values and ideals through political the political process but and he's for those who don't know ben shapiro is an orthodox jew like where's the yarmulke all the time like he's very observant of his faith and its tenets 
He said, but as what's going on with the collectivist rise and sort of the identity politics rise is Ben Shapiro has become more of a libertarian. Now, he's still very conservative. Like his point of view on marriage and on, in this case, being gay, are very conservative. But his point is, I don't want to force any of my point of view on anybody else. He's become very libertarian. This is why it works. You could have Pete Buttigieg living with another man, his husband, or you could have Ben Shapiro and, you know, a Jewish covenant with his wife. As I think he put it in the interview so he could stop his wife. That's why I got married. <laughs> it was a little joke. Yeah. But that's the thing. If you don't have that liberty space... Then it really, it really would be a fight over. Okay, who's going to get to force their point of view down somebody else? I read a, an article today about a prison system in Russia that recently brought back their yoga classes because the warden came out and said that yoga did not cause homosexuality. That was the initial reason for getting rid of the yoga classes at That's this Russian prison. Nuts, man! And so they they brought the yoga classes back. Because the warden is now of the school of thought that it, <laughs> yoga does not cause homosexuality. <sighs> Whereas, meanwhile, we've got a guy running for president telling, in the United States, we've got a guy trying to run for the Democratic or the, the left party of the United States. Yeah. And that's a gay man talking to the vice president of the United States. And they're both coming from a similar sort of Christian perspective mm -hmm. and are the complete opposite of one another with regards to which one of them may or may not be going to hell because of his sexuality. Well, and, and it brings up a point I make a lot. And it goes back to what Ben Shapiro said, that I would love if Mike Pence wasn't the vice president of the United States and if Pete Buttigieg or whatever his name is, but gig, wasn't running to be president of the United States. And there's just two people who really disagreed on this issue. I would love to watch that conversation be conducted in a civil manner. Y'all talk. You're two grown men. Talk. Record it if you want. And I think what happens is it's not necessarily the lies and the hypocrisy and, again, seeing the speck in your brother's eye and the blank, you don't see the blank in your own. It's not that that's actually driving what's going on. I think what gets people so pissed off is that we're playing all these word games, these so-called conversations and statements like Buttigieg just put out there, for the sake of power and winning. So you're not going to have... You might have a different type of conversation. Maybe it'll reveal some truth. Maybe conflict's a good thing on certain issues or unresolved things. you got to talk it out. But it tends not to go very well when the point isn't... Buttigieg is not trying to convince Mike Pence that he's wrong. Buttigieg is trying to reach the voters. And Mike Pence the same way. They're not actually talking to each other. They're talking to you, the voter. And it leads to these, I think, jousts. Some are more entertaining than others. But it doesn't really resolve much. It just means I'm the one who gets the power. And I get the point... I get to force my point of view on you. This is where the liberty aspect of things becomes so crucial. And I'm not, in my opinion, I'm not being a radical here. I think it's something that just actually, it works. You can have devout 
Jews and Christians getting along, which hasn't necessarily been historically the case. You can have even certain Islamic communities in the United States. You can have, again, gay Christians and conservative Christians. You can have all different types in this country if you hold that, okay, no matter who ends up being the president or the vice president or senator or representative, we're not going to force our point of view on somebody else. Have we lived up to that? Of course not. And I think that's why people get so intense about it. They realize the stakes. They realize what's up for grabs. And that's the question that frustrates me. It, or that's what frustrates me, the stakes. It's like, we don't have to make this even a question. We should just be upholding each person's liberty and dignity. So, Ben Shapiro can say to an interviewer that, according to my faith, acting out uh, homosexual acts are a sin. They miss the mark. They miss the aim of what God wants. And the interviewer said to him, well, what if somebody's born that way? Which is Buttigieg's whole point. He said, well, God tells human beings not to do all sorts of things they have natural impulses for. He, and his point is, I don't buy because it's natural, it's good to act on it. Which is something to argue over. But, well, natural implies a choice. Buttigieg is saying he has no choice in the matter. That's how he was born. Yeah. That's well, what he is. Right. And Shapiro's point is, like, I fine, I agree, especially if you're telling me this. But if you want to, and his point is this, I'm not going to use the government to go make you live up to my faith and the tenets of my faith. But if you wanted to be a member of my faith, you couldn't act out on that desire. And you could disagree with Ben Shapiro all day long. I tend to on this issue. But how's Ben Shapiro hurting anybody if he's saying "I'm, I'm Jewish and this is what I've been taught, this is what I believe. I'm not going to force it. I, I'm not even trying to convert people. I'm Jewish. <laughs> we we want to discourage you from doing that. Right. Like, you really got to go through it if you want to convert to Judaism. The, the, it, there's no problem with him doing that. Yeah. The problem comes is as soon as he uses his faith as a method of action. For the, in my opinion, to force it on others. Oh, through violence. Right. And that's what government is. What is that? Uh, the televangelist Pat something? Uh, Pat something. I don't, I don't know. He's a really big televangelist. Uh, he said that we should use drones to... Uh, Are you talking was, about like the 700 Club? It was, it was straight out of like an imam saying it. Yeah. Well, and this is the struggle humanity's faced for all along. And I think the key to bringing our... Identity politics are collectivist disagreements. To make them somewhat manageable is to return to a basic space of liberty. And it, it, no, it won't be utopia. There will be all sorts of people that don't like each other and will even yell and scream about it. But the yelling and screaming might be a little bit less and allow a little more room for conversation if we remove from the table the threat of government force. Pat. Robertson yeah. is his name. This is the 700 Club. I know who you're talking about. Well, he said we should use drones to take out Maduro. Uh, 
And well, it's the American way, right? Good it, lord! Does that not sound like a fatwa? Well, I mean, that sounds like a lot of American foreign policy <laughs> <It's true. laughs> over the last several decades. 